Welcome to Secondhand Stories. I'm your host, Jim Zabo. I'm your co-host, Colleen Stewart. Welcome, everybody, to another sad episode. Yeah, sad September for Secondhand out, Stories. Yeah. Tissues at the ready. Um, today, we have a story called Cranes Equal Life by our super contributor, as Colleen likes to call her, Lisa Heidel. <sighs> Love super contributor, Lisa. She, if you don't remember, is from episode three. She published the story The Whaler with us. And she is probably our biggest fan on Twitter. So Yeah, she is. And I love it. Keep um, it coming, Lisa. Yeah, so I don't want to, again, I don't like to say too much about the stories before we get into them, but I just want to say, stick with this one. Mm-hmm. You're gonna, Definitely. You're going to get a little, a little mad, I think, throughout the story, but just stick with it to the end and it'll be totally worth it. Promise. Do you promise, Agreed. Colleen? I promise. And I don't try not to break promises, Jim. Yeah. All right, so without further ado, here's Lisa reading her story, Cranes Equal Life. Cranes Equal Life Courtney started folding the origami cranes on a Tuesday after a third-grade teacher, Miss Warren, read a story to the class about a Japanese belief that if you make 1,000 origami cranes, your wish would come true. Then Miss Warren went on to tell them about a girl who became ill due to a bomb America dropped during one of the wars. And that's why she started making the cranes, so she would live. Courtney felt shame that her country could hurt people that way. It made her want to weep. Miss Warren passed round an origami crane and gave them all a small piece of white paper with lines. They followed Miss Warren's instructions on how to fold on the lines until they had their very own crane. Courtney raised her hand as the rest of the class compared what they made. Did her wish come true? It did, Miss Warren said. She went on to live longer than the doctors expected. Courtney stared at her crane and tried to connect the two ideas. Cranes equal life? Cranes equal life. After Juanita, her nanny, picked her up from school and brought her home, Courtney ate her after-school snack in front of the television. The crane sat on the arm of the chair. Courtney ate chips and watched the crane watch the TV. When she emptied the bag of chips, she carried the crane into the kitchen, where Juanita was reading a magazine. I need to go to the store. Yes, miss. Juanita wanted to take the bus to the stationery store, but Courtney insisted they walk the five blocks. When they returned home, she went to her room and laid the papers in front of her on the floor. She'd bought the brightest colors in the store, deep reds, cobalt blues, rich purples, and bright yellows. As lovely as the crane she made in class was, it lacked pizzazz, one of her grandma's favorite words. Courtney tried to fold the crane from memory, but each one fell apart in her hands. In the kitchen, Juanita was making dinner. I need to use the computer. Yes, miss. The house computer sat in the kitchen nook for Juanita to use for recipes. Courtney knew she used it for other things, too, like sending emails to her family in Guatemala and looking at celebrity gossip sites. Juanita pulled up the search engine and went back to making dinner. Courtney typed in origami crane. There were over two million results. She clicked on the first link and waited for the page to load. This computer's too slow, she said. Yes, miss. After the page loaded, she printed the folding instructions and took them back to her room. 
The writing at the top said the same thing Miss Warren told the class. Legend states that any person who folds 1,000 cranes will have their wish come true. Courtney used the yellow paper and followed the instructions step by step. The beak was too small, and one wing was bigger than the other, but you could tell that it was a crane. She used her pink gel pen to write the number two on one of its wings. She placed it next to her first crane. She didn't need to write number one on it. She would never forget that it was her first. When Juanita came to her door to tell her dinner was ready, she'd made four cranes. Bring it to me on a tray. Yes, miss. Juanita came back. Put it on my desk. I'll eat it in a minute. Pretty, Juanita said, picking up one of the cranes. Don't touch. You'll mess them up. Juanita balanced the crane next to the others lined up on the edge of the bed and left the room. Courtney folded one crane after another. She heard the front door close when her mother came home and then heard Juanita leave for the night. She hoped her mother would check on her, but she knew she wouldn't. For an entire week after her dad went away, she'd stayed awake until midnight in the hope that her mother would peek in on her. She never did. She folded cranes until her fingers ached and her head was heavy. By the time she crawled across the floor and pulled herself into bed, she'd made twenty-eight cranes. Juanita woke her for school Wednesday morning. I'm staying home today. You sick, miss? Juanita asked, pressing her hand to her forehead. I think so, <coughs> Courtney said, adding a cough for effect. I bring you tea. And pancakes. They'll help me get my strength up. Yes, miss. Courtney got out of bed and gathered the origami papers. By the time Juanita brought in breakfast, she'd folded two more cranes. By lunchtime, Courtney knew she would never make 1,000 cranes by Saturday. She called to Juanita, who hurried to the room, a magazine still in her hand. You need to help me, Courtney told her. Put this on. She handed Juanita a name tag with Courtney written in purple marker. This is you, Juanita said, trying to hand it back. And you, just for today. Courtney wasn't sure if all 1,000 cranes needed to be made by the same person or not. If so, she'd found a loophole with the name tag. She made Juanita sit next to her on the floor and showed her how to fold the cranes. Juanita folded her first crane perfectly. It looked as good as the last one Courtney had made. You're good at this. Thanks, miss. They folded throughout the afternoon. At first, they made the cranes in silence. Then Juanita started telling her about the things she'd made as a young girl. Minika caught to peanut or dolls for worry. You tell worries to doll and go to sleep. You wake up next day and worry gone. Courtney liked the idea of having her worries taken away by a doll. Me and me sisters love to make those dolls. How many sisters do you have? Seven. No brothers. Juanita listed all their names and what they were like. Do you miss them? I share home with two. Why don't they come here to visit you? Juanita frowned. They work too. I wish I had a sister. Courtney mumbled as she watched her hands make a crane. When she looked up, Juanita was staring at her. Give me a snack, Courtney snapped. We have a lot more folding to do. When it was time for Juanita to go home, they had 258 cranes. We're never going to make it, Courtney told her. You have many, Juanita said, rubbing her hands. I need 1,000. Okay, Juanita asked. 
Courtney bit her lip to keep from crying, and handed Juanita the instructions that explained. We make more tomorrow, Juanita said after she read them. You go to bed. You sick. Courtney rolled her eyes. I'm not really sick. I told you, Mama, that you sick, Juanita said, leading her to the bed and tucking her in. You sick. The next morning, Juanita found her asleep on the floor, surrounded by the colorful birds. Up, miss, we have much work to do. It took a minute for Courtney to remember why she was on her bedroom floor. You shower, I make breakfast, then we make birds. I don't need to shower. Go, miss. I call school and say you sick. We have much work. When Courtney came out of her steamy bathroom in a robe, her long wet hair hanging down her back, Juanita had gathered the crane she had made the night before into a garbage bag, and her origami papers were gone. She hurried to the kitchen, fear making it hard to breathe. Juanita sat at the kitchen table with two women who looked like her. They all wore Courtney name tags. Me sisters, miss. They help make birds until lunchtime. Courtney felt shy with so many eyes on her. Go now, Juanita said, ushering her from the room. Dress. Juanita's sisters, Yoslin and Cynthia, looked so much like her that Courtney couldn't help but stare. She wondered if she had a sister or brother if they would look alike. Cynthia was as good at folding as Juanita, but Yoslin had trouble at first. Courtney drew lines on ten of the sheets for her until she got the hang of it. You could teach her, miss, Yoslin told her. Courtney blushed at the compliment. By noon, she only needed four hundred more birds. She listened from the top of the stairs as her mother yelled at Juanita. The school says she's missed two days. Why didn't you tell me she was sick? Just cold, ma'am. You don't get to decide if it's just a cold. I do. I'm her mother. Do you understand me? Yes, ma'am. I go now. Must catch bus. Courtney hurried to her room and shoved the origami papers under her bed, turned off the light, and climbed under her covers. She stayed awake as long as she could. Her door never opened. Juanita woke her in the morning. You go to school, miss. I make more birds today. You'll never make enough. It has to be one thousand or it won't work. You no worry. Courtney spent the day with one eye on the clock. She had brought origami paper from home and made cranes during free time and lunch. Miss Warren saw the small pile of birds on her desk. You've gotten really good at making these, Courtney. Courtney thanked her and kept folding. By the end of the day, she had made eighteen more. Juanita waited for her on the sidewalk. I make two cien. That means we still need almost two hundred. Possible, miss? Courtney didn't answer. Her fingers hurt, and she felt defeated. She and Juanita walked home in silence. Juanita made an after-school snack, and Courtney started folding. By the time Juanita had to leave, they were seventy short. Can you come back tomorrow? Courtney asked her. Can't, miss. I have second job. Courtney nodded and kept folding. The three filled garbage bags mocked her from the corner of her room. Juanita hesitated at the door. Maybe we make enough. Maybe it still work. Miss Warren said it has to be a thousand. Okay, miss. Courtney didn't look up. She didn't want Juanita to see the tears dripping from her chin. The sun was up and the birds sang outside her window as Courtney folded the last crane. She used white paper, just like the first one. It seemed fitting. As she folded the paper, 
She closed her eyes and made her wish. Adrenaline rushed through her. She wanted to tell someone, but there was no one to tell. Courtney went to the kitchen and found Juanita's phone number in the drawer next to the phone. It rang six times. She was about to hang up when Juanita answered, her voice full of sleep. Juanita, it's me. We did it. Juanita laughed. Good, good, miss. You did good. I'm going today. I wish you could come with me. Good luck, miss. Courtney filled the final bag with cranes and got dressed. Carrying the bags one at a time to the elevator, she stacked them against the wall. She took the money her mother left Juanita to buy groceries and tucked the envelope in her backpack. Mrs. Callahan from apartment 4B came out to walk her dog, baby, and held the elevator door while she filled the small space with the bags. She didn't ask any questions, just held the door patiently, baby tight to her chest. Roll, the doorman, helped her carry the bags to the sidewalk and waved down a cab. He put the paper cranes in the back seat and trunk. Courtney rode in the front. It took almost an hour to get to her grandmother's apartment. The building was older than the one she lived in and much bigger. Her grandmother liked to tell Courtney how she had moved into the building on the day she was married and knew she would never leave. It was home. I knew it from the moment I walked in the door. Courtney wondered if she would ever feel that way about a place. The driver helped her remove the bags and carry them to the elevator. She paid him with the grocery money and tipped him smartly, like her father used to do. Her grandmother's apartment was on the top floor. When the elevator stopped, she propped the door open with her backpack and hurried to her grandmother's door. She knocked hard, one eye on the elevator. Her grandmother opened the door, a smile on her face. Hurry, you need to help me, Courtney said, pulling her toward the elevator. What is going on, Courtney? You're acting like a wild child. Her grandmother peppered her with questions that Courtney ignored. Once the cranes were in the apartment, Courtney carried them to her father's room. For years, the room belonged to her grandmother, but she gave it to her father when he was moved in. It has the best view, she told anyone who would listen. He loves that view. Courtney went to the kitchen to get a glass of water and took out the instructions that explained about the cranes. She handed them to her grandmother and watched her face while she read. When her grandmother finished, she folded the paper with shaking hands and said, Well then. Courtney went back to her father's room. Each time she visited, the sound of the ventilator made her skin prickle until she got used to it again. She stood next to her father's bed and waited for her breathing to match up with his. Before the accident, he would pick her up and toss her in the air. Her mother would laugh and chastise him, telling him he was going to drop her one day. The day he was hurt, they were standing at a crosswalk, waiting for permission to go. A little girl walked past with a large white and pink unicorn balloon. Courtney was mesmerized. When the light changed, her father went without her. Realizing she wasn't with him, he stopped and turned. That's when the driver hit him. She can still hear the sound of his body hitting the hood and then the windshield. That was the day his brain died. Her mother and grandmother fought for months until her mother gave in. Fine, take him home, Courtney heard her mother say when her grandmother brought her lawyer to their house. But to me, he's already dead. 
Her mom cried so hard she fell to the floor. That was two years ago. Courtney visited him twice a month. Starting at his feet, Courtney dumped each bag of cranes onto her father. The blue, red, yellow, and purple birds contrasted sharply with the white blanket. When the bags were empty, Courtney curled up in the chair next to him. She watched the birds lifting as if considering flight, then settling with each fall of her father's chest. With the first and last cranes gripped tight in her hand, Courtney closed her eyes and waited for her wish to come true. Lisa Heidel writes flash, short, and long-form fiction, articles, and book reviews. Her work has appeared in the Flash Fiction Magazine anthology, Sabal Literary Journal, MASH Stories, The Chattahoochee Review, and other literary journals. Her short story collection, Aeneid, was released in 2017. The short stories in Aeneid are filled with brutally honest characters who reveal their deepest desires as they endearingly win over readers, then break their hearts. An unreliable narrator working as a hospice worker falls for his dying married patient and is forced to question what he will and will not do for love. A 1960s debutante defies society's conventions and then takes drastic measures in order to maintain her social status. An elderly mother gets lost in the Lord's Prayer as she shares her life's joys, disappointments, and years of abuse. These characters' stories and the others in this collection explore the private places that live in us all, and will stay with readers long after the book is finished. She is currently traveling coast to coast in the U.S., seeking new story ideas and meeting noteworthy people. So let's get into it, Carl. This was a, it's a pretty sad ending there. Yeah, I actually, it was it was so unexpected, and I honestly read it again before we did this here. We recorded this, and I, and I was surprised again, even though I knew, I was like, oh, I remember this like twist kind of ending that I wasn't really expecting, and I was surprised again. Yeah. Do what? Do we want to do like I was thinking about doing like a top three saddest moments of the story because I have three. three. <laughs> what an uplifting <laughs> grouping of three. Well, because like <laughs> the whole the, the whole of it is like obviously heartbreaking, but I think that there were like uh, I'll at least go through my three, and you could come all right up, you go can through your top agree three. Agree I'll, I'll try not to get weepy, yeah. and we can talk about this. Top three in no particular order, actually in order of they appeared in the story, because that's the order I wrote them down in. Um, first one was the mom not visiting Courtney after she like yells at Juanita, and is like, "She's my child. You have to tell me when she's sick." And then Courtney stays up, and the mom just like doesn't show up, and it's like not even. Courtney isn't even really expecting her to like she obviously wants her to but she knows that you know she has a history of not really checking in so um that was number one for me number two that line maybe I'll I'll try to pull it up but when Courtney realizes that she doesn't really have a home she's talking about her grandmother and how her grandmother said you know she moved into her apartment and she just knew right then that you know this was going to be her home forever and you know, how old Courtney's in third grade, so she's eight. And, you know, it's the line is Courtney wondered if she would ever feel that way about a place. Like, oh my God, I didn't even pick up on that line. Yeah. That's even, that's so sad. You would just like hope that an eight year old would feel at home in their home. And like Courtney doesn't feel that way because of everything that's going on. Like, obviously. And when you're, yeah, when you're eight too, like you, I mean, that's a point of cognizance. Like, you know 
what's going on. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, you have an idea of, like, what home means. And the fact that she doesn't even... Oh, that's... Oh, man. Yeah. All right. What's your last one? God. <laughs> yeah, it's not getting any better. The last one... Yeah, I know. Um, was when and the line says, For years, the room belonged to her grandmother, but she gave it to her father when he was moved. And I just think that's so heartbreaking because, you know... Her dad, like, not no, like that's, the grandmother is, like, treating yeah, it's him like, like he's, that hope I mean, that he's li- alive. I don't yeah. know. I don't know the hope that he's going to recover. <sighs> yeah, no, that's just a lot of sadness. Yeah, so those those are my top three. Just wanted to get those out of the way. I thought that was pretty brutal. Yeah, I don't know if I had, like, a top three, but they're of, like, saddest. I mean, this whole sort, this whole story is sad, but there, there are parts of the story that really, like, stuck out to me just as, like, Eh, not important but just like good spots where i was like these are really characters that i'm really like picturing in my mind and like that i'm it's the story is really gripping me and at one of those times was um when um courtney comes down after i think it's the second day she's homesick and juanita and her two sisters are there and they're helping her fold the cranes mm-hmm. and courtney even like as an eight-year-old like is really it kind of recognizes how special that is but like not fully to the point where she like gets to that like like next level of like kind of existential thought of like okay yeah this this is affecting me outside of my my own sphere but she kind of realizes that they're here for her and like i don't i don't think it's from the sounds of it like especially recently in her life she hasn't really had a lot of people that have been there for her and like she I thought that was a really gripping point after all the times that and and Juanita like go her because she's I if that little brat acted that way to me I would smack her <laughs> upside the head like I would never be able to well not never but like I wouldn't be probably half the woman that Juanita was to to Courtney like being the way that she was and like of course there are reasons probably why Courtney's acting out and like you don't and what this is why we said stick with the story people you know, you don't realize that till the end and you're like, wow, I feel bad for calling this little girl a brat. But, but she is, I mean, she's not nice to Juanita and all Juanita wants to do is care for her, obviously. And, and really wants to care for her. And the fact that like, she helps her do all these cranes and brings her sisters. And I think, I thought that kind of really rounded out that part of the story. Yeah. Um, was, and also, yeah, the, the mom sucks. Like, (laughs) what? Like, I mean, terrible. But I think, so to sorry to piggyback on what you're saying no, before that real. like Juanita is like for as heartbreaking as this story is Juanita is like the heartwarming part of the story because she's just so mm-hmm. good like there's there's not even like one word I would use just like she is perfect like she's so patient with Courtney and she's so kind of like ready to do whatever she wants to do as rudely as she's going to ask it like Juanita just kind of takes it and and runs with it, which is, like, she gets all the credit in the world. Um, oh, absolutely. And, yeah, you definitely, like, think that Courtney sucks because she's, like, treating Juanita so rudely, but you kind of realize why. And I think that you can kind of I – don't, I don't know. I, I, I definitely see the criticism of Courtney's mom, and as I was listening to the story again today, I was like, yeah, really, she really sucks. But at the same time, like, she just lost, like, her life partner, and, like, yeah. she's no, – yeah. You know, you you kind of expect that as a parent, you need to like think of your child first. But she's 
know, she's thinking of herself first, which when you have a child isn't necessarily the best, but I don't know. I, I find it hard to, to. yeah. You have to think about yourself too, because if you're not good, then you can't be there for your child. And like, but I mean, the mom's obviously failing at both of those things. Right. Yeah. And like, I think kind of her hypocrisy in the whole, like yelling at Juanita because, you know, she's my child and I need to know, like, you need to tell me when stuff's going wrong, like, because she doesn't act on that. It's kind of like a hollow and and hypocritical thing. Like if if that part wasn't in there, I might think better of the mom because mm-hmm. you know if she just like didn't pay attention to when the school called to say that Courtney was sick because she was so wrapped up in herself, then you know I think I could cut her more of a break because I'd believe not. I I don't want to use the word believe, but like it would be that much more obvious that like she's just dealing with her own grief. But the fact that she you know, recognizes it and takes her anger out on somebody else, but then doesn't follow through. Um, I, I don't really like that. No, I totally agree. I I think um, the mom definitely was was played off to be a hypocrite, and, you know, that was made pretty clear that. But it's, I mean, the, you go into that whole, the whole idea of um, having a family member in in a coma or like in being brain dead like that is a really hard thing to go through and it's almost i would argue it's probably almost harder than someone actually being dead because they're essentially dead but they're still there and they're still living and like they're technically still alive so it's like how do you how do you you know process that like it doesn't really i don't think our brains are like able to like really understand what that means because then you're telling yourself okay well they're still alive but then you go to see them and they're not and it's and it's just just so confusing and I think it was interesting of Lisa to kind of explain this through the eyes of a child because it's clear that Courtney doesn't really get it but also does at the same time and and but she also makes it so simple as to just like I wish I'm gonna make these cranes and I'm just gonna wish that he that he's better yeah and like she really believes that and like it's the sweetest but also like I'm like getting teary eyed just thinking about this and like it's also like the most heartbreaking thing because I mean as we all know as an adult like you can make a bajillion paper crane sweetheart and he's not probably not gonna wake up like you know what I mean? yeah that and it's, that's like a heartbreaking thing to like even say to a fake character in a fake story but or made up story but it's like it's the truth of the matter and it's I think I don't know. It that's a really heartbreaking part of the story, I think. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because like I definitely agree with you about the first part where, you know, it could be easier if someone just goes because then there's closure. Like I think we really like closure. But yes. it's interesting that you bring up like that Courtney was kind of holding out hope that he would still be alive because she doesn't really understand the situation. The grandmother's doing the same thing. It's true. And, you know, maybe this could be, I'm sure that this is reading too far into it, but like, you know, how, I don't know, some people say, you know, you, like, life is kind of on a bell curve. Like, you know, you're learning a lot when you're really young and then you like, you know, you know a lot and you're in your prime when you're, you know, parents age or whatever. But then as you get older, you kind of, you're on the decline and maybe it's showing like the parallel hope that you have both as a young child and 
a much older adult. I don't know if that made any like sense, that. but no, I, I think it is because I and I see that in in my grandma now. Like I see that kind of. I mean, it's it's she doesn't act like a little kid, obviously, right. but like, but there are certain things that she has developed a naivety to that maybe when she was younger she probably wouldn't have but it's just your brain just it sounds like it she just kind of gives up your brain's just like i don't feel like deciphering what this means so i'm just gonna make it easier for me to understand Mm -hmm. and just like put it in that place and like that's what you do as a little kid yeah because your brain's not developed enough to do that right that's an interesting point i i didn't think about that yeah i I don't want to like say that all old people are dumb or anything but just like oh no and that's yeah that's a generalization yeah that's my experience like some old people are brilliant until the day they die like my grandpa's like that he's quick as a whip but but it's for some older people yeah right and that that i was also just using like a big generalization but um, I also liked what you said about how well Lisa captured, um, like looking at this through a child's eyes. And like we've talked about before, how we just have so many good writers who know how to write kids parts really well. Like I just, mm. I'm so impressed with everybody that, that can do that well, um, as I'm rereading it, which Stephen King does a pretty good job of doing that too. Um, oh, I ever, okay. <laughs> pause. Every time <laughs> I try to talk about it. hmm I can't just, it sounds, it, like, I can't do it because it's just, like, it is, everyone's like, what do you mean? I'm like, it. They're like, it, what? <laughs> what is it's it? It's terrible. Yeah, they're like, what is it? I'm like, it. And they're like, what? And I'm like, oh, it's like, oh, it's terrible. Who's Sorry, okay. Um, yeah, no, seriously, that's yeah. exactly the kind of conversations I've had. Anyway, yeah. I do unpause, back yeah. to what we're talking about. Sorry, Lisa. No, uh, <laughs> so I just think that she captures a child really well, and I love the scene where um, Courtney sees Juanita's sisters well actually her first interaction with Juanita where she kind of learns about Juanita's family and I feel like what Lisa captures really well there is like um childlike idolization of adults that are like kind of unfamiliar to you so like you know when you were little you thought that your teacher just like lived in their classroom like you you just couldn't imagine a life outside of (laughs) the one that you saw them in because that was your like you just had a really limited worldview and I think that like in talking with Juanita and learning about her sisters and how she lives with some of her sisters like that just kind of opens up Courtney's kind of worldview a little bit I guess for lack of a better word um and then when she gets to see you know Juanita's family uh in person I think you know just the childlike wonder of like wow there are people who look like her and what if I had a sibling would they look like me like I just thought that that was that was, that was a sad part too yeah this just have any siblings that's that was sad too yeah because like she's going through this alone mm-hmm. yeah exactly um, um no it's, I like that point and it kind of re- leads me into another literary word that I can throw out and use my education um it's a kind of it's a Bildungsroman story which is have you heard that word no, before? never heard that oh a Bildungsroman is basically, I think it's Latin. I'm pretty sure. I'm, I might mess that up, but it's a it were it's a word meaning um a coming of age story, mm-hmm. and this is a little bit young for a coming of age story, but it's still it can kind of be broadly used in in a, to apply to a story that um a character as as a younger character like makes a realization and like you said like gets a bigger worldview and kind of you know isn't as doesn't um kind of 
remain in that solipsistic view of of being a child mm-hmm. and i think that's this is definitely what that is it's exactly what it is it's that you know courtney not only you know is dealing with this very adult situation of her father being brain dead but she's also you know learning about these uh, uh, it struck me in the beginning about the part how the teacher was teaching them how to build these cranes and also teaching them about the history of the bombs being dropped in nagasaki and hiroshima like yeah. that's a little heavy for third graders and like i get probably the lesson was like teach them a little bit of history but like make the fun thing about the cranes because mm-hmm. like that's a little bit light for a third grade class but um like that broadens a worldview like she i think she says something uh what's her lisa writes her in the beginning the beginning there's a sentence um courtney felt shame that her country could hurt people that way it made her want to weep like that's a another like point where courtney's like you're the self-awareness is is there and it's like wow like oh like this happened and the people that are in my you know community not not necessarily but like this they made something like this happen this terrible terrible thing and kind of realizing the evil in the world is is and the unfairness in the world like this little girl who got hit with this bomb who shouldn't have i mean she wasn't fighting in a war like she was just being a little girl just like courtney Mm -hmm. and the idea that you know these unfair things happen to good people just like unfair things happen to her dad right you know yeah that's true so i think it's definitely definitely a um a coming of age story or a something of that nature yeah um i think that you do get a lot of uh moments where corny like shows that she's like um past her age and I, I don't know exactly how to say that but you know where she's she's definitely older than her age because i don't know i thought that the i guess this show is like old and young when she um writes she makes the name tag for juanita and says that if you make these cranes with my name on you somehow, that's like, that's going to count. And I thought that that was like her solving a problem. Like she was not going to be able to make a thousand cranes by the weekend. But, you know, she also like she's going to need help. But, you know, how is she going to do it and still have it count for her? Like, obviously, it's a little bit it's very naive. But I just thought that that was like kind of crafty. Yeah, um, that was a good I like that part it was it kind of i mean it's just another detail that lisa put in there that really helps to be in the mind of a child like that's absolutely something a kid would do like oh yeah i'll just put a name tag on them and they're being like yeah, that makes sense exactly. and, like no one like an adult wouldn't think that obviously at least i hope they wouldn't yeah. um you know but yeah no it was uh definitely definitely good yeah I had a couple couple other quick things um mm. i thought a very like kind of big plot point that was interesting was just how obsessed Courtney got with this and obviously you know she had a reason to be obsessed with it she wanted to make all these grains for her dad but it seemed to me like and maybe I just missed something but I don't know what the reason for needing to get it done by the weekend was you know she started on Tuesday and she just had to get this done by Saturday you know when she was gonna... is that when she visits her dad it might be it, but said, yeah yeah it might be like maybe, she can only she said go it's on like weekends. twice a month or something oh okay so maybe maybe that was the day that she's visiting him yeah maybe i missed that um but what i wanted to say was just that like i feel like when i was a kid when i was younger i was more prone to becoming obsessed with things like i would learn how to do something and think that it was so cool and just do it for you know a week or two weeks or a month and just like 
get really good at it and then maybe get bored and move on to something else. And I feel like, yep. you know, this is a perfect craft. This is a perfect like hobby for a child to really get into and then, you know, maybe get out of like grow out, grow out of, you know, kind of soon. Afterwards. I totally did this in like yeah. actually probably the same age that Courtney is. It was like maybe fourth or fifth grade. Mm-hmm. Me and Katie Shula and who else somebody else another one of our friends we made those cootie catchers mm-hmm, yep those like little yep. fortune teller things we made like probably like hundreds and i mean not thousands but like hundreds and hundreds of them mm-hmm. and just like for like we didn't i don't think you even like wrote anything or like did the actual numbers we just like liked making them we would do it at recess i remember it so clearly and we had like a little operation going like we were like okay you do this you it was crazy and we just got obsessed with it and then like two months later we were like eh, boring we don't do that anymore but we got so i could still build one right now i I was gonna say but you could still do one oh yeah i can still do it i can't still i can't fucking drive a car right but i can (laughs) build one of those things like for sure (laughs) but no it's yeah i totally agree with that I, i definitely had things like that when i was younger where you just kind of get fixated on them and mm-hmm. and um yeah no definitely what was your do you have another point you yeah um one thing that i i think i should have said when we were talking about how like courtney said that she was or what, just when we thought that you know she was so spoiled through the first half of the story i started listening to the story trying to listen to it with a fresh mind and say and i said to myself what could this girl have to wish for you know, she she kind of latches on to this idea that if you make a thousand cranes, you get a wish. And, you know, you have that in the back of your mind. And then you see her interactions with Juanita and she's got this nanny that she treats really poorly. And so you kind of think of her as like a stuck up, spoiled, rich person, a rich child. And you kind of wonder, like, you know, doesn't she have everything that she could ever want? Like, you know, she demands things and she gets them. And um, yeah. So I, that was that was one thought. But the last one that I had, which I think is was kind of cool, was um, when Courtney and Juanita were kind of connecting when they were building the cranes that first night. Um, I thought it was very cool how Lisa um, talked about superstitions across cultures. So, you know, this cranes oh, yes. thing comes from, I guess it was from Japan, and Juanita talks about the worry dolls that she and her sisters made when they were younger. And mm-hmm. they both kind of achieved the same purpose. I think, you know, it's not that you make 1,000 cranes and a wish comes true. It's just that you maybe distract yourself by doing something or you kind of um, you use the thing as like a placebo or, uh, or you know, something that's going to take your stress away. You're just going to put the stress on the object and, and take it off yourself and... I just thought that that was cool that she, you know, brought up, you know, different, different cultures having different superstitions and different ways of dealing with things. Yeah, no, I like that too. And it kind of reminded me of almost like, like those like fables and stuff that kind of teach you a lesson or like something like that. Like, um, in terms of like, you, I don't know, like you like do these things and like you kind of just said, like takes your stress away or like. It's a and a good explanation for something that you can't explain. Yeah, exactly. And I think maybe that's that's kind of goes along with what we were just talking about. Like, Courtney's trying to figure this out in her head, and this is the way she's trying to figure it out. Like, okay, well, if I just do this, then, like, my dad will be better. And, like, yeah, maybe that's not true, but, like, at least it's given her some sort of solace for, like, a couple of days, you know? Mm-hmm. Instead of just sitting there, like, 
you know, watching TV and whatever and, you know, yeah. not and being unhappy. She's going to you know? she's going to put her mind to something that's going to take her mind right. off of what the reality is. Yeah. Absolutely. Um yeah, it was right. that was just a really good very sad story. Um It was a you know what? It was a really solidly written story. I it was um it was a good short story and that's yeah. really hard to do because like this story could have been probably a book, honestly. I mm-hmm. mean, you could you could totally have stretched it out and also like not giving it away like the whole, you know, Courtney's whole deal within the first like two or three paragraphs mm-hmm. like that takes skill in order to keep a reader engaged and as to like okay well why are we why do we care about this girl who's making cranes this this little brat who you know is making these cranes why do we care about her it's very hard to like keep a reader engaged with a character that they don't like mm-hmm. until they find out that they have sympathy for and i think that's that's a really hard thing to do and that lisa did it really really well and to keep us keep us engaged that's in the story super good point yeah. And I think I emailed her after the story and I was like, or when we were accepting and I was like, this is so good. Like I was so mad at Courtney for the first eight pages or whatever. And then the last three, it was just like, just a huge it wave breaks of- you, It breaks your heart yeah. in pieces. And she, she was like, I'm so glad that you got that. Like that was, that was her whole point. It was that she was trying to, you know, make Courtney seem like a really bratty child, but to show that there was, there was something behind it. So- yeah. yeah. Well, there's it just goes to show you can't you can't um judge people. You don't know what people are going through. Yeah. Can't judge a book by its cover. Uh classic. Classic. Um all right, so we want to thank Lisa again as always for yes. writing so well. Um sending us her story. Um obviously want to thank Colleen for hosting with me again. Um Bye. Want to thank everybody for sticking with us after we took a week off. It was much needed and it may come again sometime eventually i don't know um, coming to a podcast near you yeah week off <laughs> week off coming to a podcast near you not next week um next week no. we're hoping to run another sad story because we just don't think we made this month sad enough yet um yeah no september has yet to make anybody weepy enough yeah so but we haven't heard back from the author yet we're still um working with them trying to get the story already so um we'll keep you posted on that if we are a couple days late just give us you know, cause a little slack for a little bit late in October. Um, so far, no one has answered your call yet, Colleen, about writing scary <sighs> stories. But, but we have some pretty weird stories. Like, all right, I could do weird as long as yeah. they don't make me feel weird. I don't think they'll make you feel weird. They're just like they're different. They're about they're about supernatural kind of things. Which okay, all right, fine, I'll take it. But people. If someone doesn't send me a scary story, I'm going to be pissed. Yeah, we should. So we should have one scary story at the end of October, but we didn't. We haven't gotten any since you made your call for, for more scary stories. So. All right, people. I'm, I'm challenging you. I mean, don't you people respond to challenges? I am literally <laughs> challenging you. <laughs> well, hopefully they do in the next couple yeah. weeks because we also need to read the stories before we run them so um true it could be a scary november scary november <laughs> yeah <laughs> what is that stupid thing where people grow mustaches oh yeah no shave november Mo- no shave um, november, november it's, yeah, gonna be, it's gonna be scarevember yeah scarevember that's a real that's it rolls that's off the tongue real, that's a real marketing winner yeah. <laughs> all right <laughs> Woo. uh we'll let everybody go here so thanks everybody for listening rate us review us all that stuff um and tune, please do tune back in next week Yes, thank you, everyone. Bye. Thanks. Cool. Good work.
Can I stop recording? Because I'm probably going to say stupid shit. Yeah. That means I should stop recording, too. Yeah, because then, then you're going to screw yeah, up. Yeah, then I just have half the half the bit, and you're usually the funny part, so. <laughs> funny or funny looking? Well, both. Well, luckily, nobody can see us, so. <laughs> Thank God, because yeah. I look like hell right now. Yeah, me too. I just came from CrossFit, you know. Yeah. The use. The use. The usual. All right, I'm stopping recording now. How, wait, how do I stop it?